When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, corrupt. Standing by with our points and deductions about a big Premier League weekend. Everton Man United with the Toffees beaten by overheads once again. Brentford Arsenal with Kai no longer the limit. Newcastle against Chelsea, as remorseless as Edith Piaf, ahead of their trip to Paris. And Man City Liverpool, second last on match of the day. All that and more in this Totally Football Show. Sunday 26th of November, listener, hello to you. We've got Sasha Gurianov along for today's ride into football. Hi, James. Hi, Sasha. Charlie Eccleshare. Is fresh back from Spurs Villa. Hello. Hi, Charlie. And literally here in the studio is Daniel Story. Lovely to be here, James. Well, it's so nice to see you, Daniel. What's brought you in? Also Spurs Villa, uh, which I thought might be the most chaotic game of the season. And it wasn't miles off that. I don't think it was a, an odd beast of a mm. football match. Yeah. It, was, like, it could have been 2-2 after about five minutes. Duncan Alexander, best of you before, said there'd never been a six-all in uh, <laughs> English top-flight history. And I was thinking, could this be the day? Yeah. Busy weekend, loads of chaos all over the place. Also Sunday morning, bringing news of the passing of Terry Venables, of course, at the age of 80. Hugely successful pass as a player, but I think it's as a manager that most of us will really have him as part of our footballing landscape. Daniel, you were tweeting about the fact that he he's the manager who gave you the best summer of your childhood. Yeah, I think... Those of us born the almost the exact vintage as me, I was born in 1985, so I kind of missed out on Italian 90. Euro 92 didn't really feel a concept, and then USA 94 didn't have England in. So we were, I think, a very rare breed that we were almost 10 or 11 before we had that first big major tournament, and it happened to be in England, and it felt an iconic team. And yeah, and El Tell was... He wasn't the protagonist of it, but he he, he felt like the ringleader, and he always felt, even as a kid... He always felt like this kind of magnanimous... Mm. Avuncular. Yeah, like Cockney. He he was that rarest of qualities, an England manager and then a former England manager that everybody liked. Yeah. He got out at the right time, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Basically, that was his last major, major job or certainly major long-term job. He did so much beyond that and particularly the fact that he was an English manager who went to Barcelona, won the title with them Mm. and came within a penalty shootout of winning the European Cup. Yeah, he, he definitely, um, he f- even at the time, I mean, I, yeah, I was very young, but and then that was my first major tournament watching Euro 96. And so it was, like so many people, it did just completely capture me. But even at the time, I remember him, he felt quite forward thinking. And obviously, you know, he'd come after the Graham Taylor era when England felt just like they'd regressed so much. And here was this guy who'd managed in Spain played exciting football but also winning football and yeah just so many nice memories I was thinking today that picture of him which I would recommend seeking out with Gareth Southgate after the penalty miss and Venable's just got this like that grin that he always had on his face it just looks like the perfect person to be consoling someone in that moment Mm. 
so many other strings to his but was he was he a part a feature of your life yeah he was, a, he was a feature yeah. of my life because for me you know Euro 96 came to Liverpool Right. And, and Manchester. So were in, where were you at the time? I was in Liverpool at the time. Oh, yeah. Russia yeah. played, didn't they? Russia played. Against the, was that the Italy game? Uh, the Italy yeah. game. I went Kassiragi. to yeah, Kaka, yeah, the Kaziragi goal, the Timbala goal. At the same time, the England games were in the background. And, you know, Team England were never hugely popular in the Northwest. And I think at the time, I think I would say for Venables, he kind of represented this whole London-centric sense, mm-hmm. I think, of it. Uh, but it wasn't, I don't think he provoked any ill feeling. But for me, I watched the shootout. And I remember the, the entire press room was in shock that England have managed to lose this game. But I do have the image of Venables consoling his players on the pitch. Right. And it's like sort of kind of the final thing for England. I bet you got the image of four uh, England four, Netherlands one. Mm. Yeah, and uh, well, and then from a very selfish point of view, Stuart Pearce's penalty mm. against Spain, obviously in the quarterfinals. Brave man steps forward to take England's third. Banish the memory of Turin. Stuart Pearce. There's a, a brilliant photo doing the round, which is not from that tournament, but it's of a 15-year-old Pep Guardiola looking up at Venables as he lifts hmm. uh, the Spanish title. Um, I hadn't. It's appreci- actually from the semi-final. Oh, it's, sorry, yeah, yeah. He's been, I think he's been lifted by his players. Yeah, about yeah. Got- yeah. against Gothenburg. He, he. I hadn't appreciated until a few years ago just how well respected he is abroad, um, how well respected he is as a as a tactical innovator. Um, you know, people mentioning him in the same breath as Arrigo Saki and, and Johan Cruyff, which kind of blows my mind because I, I, I had no concept of that. Um, I think probably because of the sheer kind of strength of his magnanimous personality mm. and the, the kind of vunkularity to him makes you, it sort of gives the impression that he was a sort of, he was a geezer, he was mm. a man manager, whereas actually it seems he was one of those very rare beasts of English managers that managed to combine both in in the 90s yeah I remember I was actually at that Spain penalty shootout game it was a very and that was I mean that was England's only penalty shootout win in a major tournament until the 2018 World Cup but I was thinking something that slightly foreshadowed England losing that penalty shootout then against uh, Germany not only did they lose to Stal Bucharest Barcelona on penalties they missed all four of their penalties in that shootout which feels like the kind of thing that nowadays would resurface either in the lead up to the shootout or the day after being like, well, it's no, you know, Venables has got a penalty problem. (laughs) This can't be a coincidence. The inside story. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) The bad preparation, etc. Terry, who was uh, a multi-talented man. He had released records, multiple ones. In fact, he released a board game as well. Terry Venables invites you to be the manager. And uh, also wrote crime novels. Yes, he did. About a maverick detective called Hazel. He, um, he wa- I once uh, had to sort of meet and greet with him at Cafe Football in London. Which oh, yeah. oh I, I remember that. Doesn't yeah, doesn't exist anymore. Um, <laughs> hasn't done for a while, I don't know. But yeah, and, and he met 50 young kids who were... I'd say I was the most interested to meet him. Okay, how old were there. you at the time? Then? Uh, I'd have been about nine. Or, oh, wow. And what, what were you there? Well, I was there because it was... (laughs) I mean, I was there as a a classic diner. Um, But uh, Venables at that point was... His name was mud to me because of the 1991 FA Cup final. Obviously, his his Spurs have beaten Forest. Uh, And I I think I probably said as much to him and he just sort of laughed and went, Hmm. sorry about that, mate. Well, on the subject of Terry Venables' tactical prowess, uh, Michael Cox has a piece coming out this week on what L tells... Time as England manager represented tactically. You can find that on The Athletic. But in the meantime, Terry will be much missed. And our thoughts to his friends and family. Next up, 
Let's get on to the results from Premier League match day 13. Saturday lunchtime, the weekend began with Man City's 1-1 draw against Liverpool, a result that ended City's run of consecutive home wins at 23 and allowed Arsenal to retake top spot thanks to their 1-0 win at Brentford later that day. Spurs, meanwhile, slipping out of the top four after their defeat at home to Villa. Elsewhere, Newcastle beat Chelsea 4-1. Brighton got their first win since September, 3-2 at Forest. While at the bottom, Luton got their first home win of this Premier League season, beating Palace 2-1. Bournemouth won again, 3-1 at Sheffield United. And, of course, Burnley lost, this time a record seventh straight home game, 2-1 against West Ham. Fulham Wolves will be Monday evening. Let's begin with the City of Manchester's informed side, United. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. It's Diogo Dallo who pulls the ball back across. Garnacho! That is outstanding! A spectacular goal from Alejandro Garnacho! The sound of Rob Hawthorne and, of course, Gary Neville reacting to the opening goal from Sunday's clash between Everton and Man United. It finished 3-0 to Man United, of course. But we're going to begin with that incredible strike from Garnacho. Yeah, one of those goals now in kind of modern Premier League folklore that I'd call a kind of WhatsApp group uniter, where mm. everyone just puts one mm. word, like sort of, you know, sort of bang, hit, pow, uh, strike maybe. <laughs> uh, and everyone just, yeah, as everyone watches it with a kind of one second delay, they all filter down through several groups. It was, I think, probably the best... Ooh. individual strike I've ever seen in the Premier League. Really? In really? the Premier League, really? Yeah, I think so, because long-range goals, to me, have an element of hit and hope. I'm not saying this was there was no fortune to this at all, but to extend his body back in mid-air, the cross was behind him right quite away. he gets up to as yeah. well is amazing. And when it then goes in the top right-hand corner, rather than kind of bouncing down, mm. or mm. it was a phenomenal, phenomenal strike. It reminded me a, a bit of Sebastian Coates' goal yeah. for Liverpool at QPR. I was there, actually. But that was, yeah. um, that was closer to goal. And it was more of a scissor kick, I think, yes. rather than, 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 than proper In terms of how high yeah. he got, yeah. but yes. Phenomenal. When he was able to articulate again, Gary Neville called it the greatest overhead kick he'd ever seen. In terms of cleanest body shape, everything, I think really? it's probably, yeah. I don't know, there's an Ibra one that stands out an to Ibra? me. Yeah, against Ibra against uh, England, I think. The one, the one from quite a way out. Yeah. Also, I mean, let's go and have a look at Quadriletta's showreel because there's some absolute stonkers in there. But this was amazing. The only thing, you mentioned where the luck played a part, and this is going to sound terrible, but given where... Garnacho's other shots ended up. <laughs> How much he actually aimed that. Kids keep trying. Yeah, I guess. Mauro Bressan would be my shout for the Ooh, greatest. Oh, yeah. Goal. Yeah, very nice. Do you know there was one Jokaev scored? It wasn't so much that it was. <gasps> the Jokaev, was... no, it was kind of side off. Yeah, but for it Inter was an incredible against, uh, goal. Vicenza, I think. Yeah, yeah. Like early 97. Absolutely amazing Good goal. Knowledge, Charlie. Yeah, that um, was. I mean, it was aerial. But he doesn't get, it's not yeah. foot over your head in quite the same fashion. Yeah. I mean, I've seen people, you know, the natural comparison is Rooney's, but I think everyone's in agreement. The Rooney against City 2011, but that was more mm. shin where it actually hit the, the point of connection. This is so clean. It is 
Yeah. Crouch Besiktas was clean as well. Remember yeah, that? Yeah, that, that was, was really that good. Was, again, close, kind of closer yeah, in. Yeah, closer in. But looked... Obviously, but here I think mad. what makes here as well what makes a good goal like the better goal here as well. You can see like the clean arch, everything's really clean that happens on the goal. So that's I think why for me it's outstanding right now. It was amazing. Uh, United ended up scoring two more goals. One was a pen. The other one was a nice little dink from Martial after a lovely ball slipped through from Bruno Fernandes. Uh, they were terrifically efficient on their way to their fifth win from six in the Premier League. The game they didn't win being against Manchester City, which you know can happen. Mm. They are now top of the form table. What does this mean? Well, they were already. I mean, it was, it's a very strange thing even going into this game. Um, I tell you what's quite telling, though. This 3-0 win takes them to zero goal difference. And I think if you're trying to understand, like, what, how is it Man U are now, you know, they're six points off top. They've picked up a lot of points. But how is it that the eye test kind of tells you they still don't look that convincing? And I think that kind of tells you. I th- I'm pretty sure today was their first win by more than one goal of this season in the Premier League. And, you know, if you were being picky, you'd say the, the games in this run that they've won have been against opposition that they should beat. Mm. So I think, you know, and, and United went on a really good run last year. But again, there was always that nagging feeling. And in that run, they did actually beat City at home. But generally, it was quite kind fixtures and they weren't always massively convincing so, so this sounds a bit being down on a team who've won five out of six but right. I still feel I don't know they need a slightly clearer identity and to do this against better teams before it feels like it's a massive turnaround they do have two big games coming up Galatasaray away midweek in the Champions League lose that game and they're effectively out and then at the weekend they're away to Newcastle who obviously look pretty pretty good themselves this weekend with that 4-1 victory over Chelsea yeah Exactly. I think that will be telling. And also, and I mean, I guess even the fact that within this six-game run, they've had those two games against Copenhagen, hmm. one of which they lost, one of which they needed a penalty save in the last minute to win 1-0. So, yeah, I think there are a few reasons why it feels like, yes, that game, that Newcastle game certainly will could be very revealing. Okay. I mean, th- this season they've lost basically all four of their games against the better opposition in the league. So that's why this coming up game is, I think, is very, very important just to see whether they've actually made any progress. Because, you know, as you, as you mentioned, within this run of games, there was two massive 3-0 defeats against good sides. Yeah. They, were, they looked absolutely useless. Danny had this extraordinary stat, which I think is no longer valid as of this Sunday, mm. about them and Burnley, Daniel. Yeah, and I mean, until... Sunday because they scored very early and, and held that leading at seven until the end. But before Sunday, uh, they had led for a lower proportion of their Premier League games this season than Burnley, who are who are bottom. Mm. I mean that that does also say that Burnley throw away a lot of points from Leeds. Mm. But they were but, one of the lowest for a while. Yeah, twelve they, and a half percent before yeah. Sunday of games they were leading. I mean, as a flip side, they have had Harry Maguire and Johnny Evans as a makeshift offensive pairing for most of this run. Rasmus Hoyland's still not scored a Premier League goal. They're finding a way to do it. I, I think sometimes, especially what happens with United, they win when not playing very well. And with certain teams and at certain points, we interpret that as a compliment. And mm. with some yeah. clubs, we interpret it as a, as a negative. And I, I can see why it happens with United because I can see this falling apart quite quickly and everyone's saying, you know, this is Manchester United. Why are they playing like this? We've all been there before. But right now, they're the form team in the league on merit. And I'm used to watching them lose to the, some of the teams they're beating. Now, I, I honestly thought that Everton, given the atmosphere, which we'll talk about, I thought they, were, they might get you know, rolled over today at Goodison. Mm, yeah. And they did the opposite. Well, how key was Ganache's goal in not letting that happen? Yeah, massive. Mainly in terms of simmering down that atmosphere um, at Goodison, which wasn't against United or, or even particularly pro-Everton. It was against a situation. But yeah, I suspected that United would would probably fall down in that 
pressurised environment and they played really well. Top of the form table, sixth in the actual table. How many points are they behind Liverpool, Sash? Uh, four and six off the top of the league. It's extraordinary. It was, a meanwhile, a big defeat for them, but they didn't actually perform that badly for most parts of the game. Once again, this season, Everton play all right. Mm. Um, and, you know, they, go, they get through stages where they don't finish any chances and then through stages when they do. So there was one of the days when they kept on shooting straight at the keeper, basically. Um, or whichever United player was standing <laughs> on the line. Yeah, or which were one of three United players standing mm. on the line, which is quite a lot of United players. So I think in terms of performance, um, it wasn't bad in terms of obviously where they, where they find themselves in the league now, particularly given Luton's result. It's not great but also I think what would be disappointing is that they failed to sort of ride the feeling of emotion because uh, it really felt like a cup final today but that Garnacho goal I think really put the spanner in the wax yeah it was I mean looking at the XG at this point still being tidied up I think but I've seen between 2.5 and 2.73 for Everton I mean they've really? created really good wow. chances yeah. in this game and you, you know that first half it was especially towards the end of the half you know, I think we're clinging on and it was kind of Chance after chance. But I, I agree. I mean, that first goal was so massive because I, I felt going into this, if I were a United fan, I'd be like, why have the Premier League done this now? It's just the worst timing for us. Like Goodison is a tough place to go mm. to the best of times. Right. But Premier League notoriously got it in for every club. Well, exactly. Everton, but yeah. also Man United. A quick word on uh, Kobe Mainu, is it? Disappointingly, it's not Man U, even nah. though you could. You could nah. you yeah, know, it's got like a sort of Pez 2009 version of Man U. <laughs> yeah. Fine. Could I just say about Everton, about Goodison being a difficult place to go? It yeah. isn't really. <laughs> <laughs> like if you look at the results, I think the one, no, one United have lost season, there a few yeah. times. Like I know not I, last season. I think season, conceptually you feel like Goodison is a horrible place to go, but mm. if you actually look at the results, I think they won one game there all season. Good lord! So okay. it hasn't really been Fortress Goodison. May new then May new. Uh, everyone raving about him and his performance. Comfortably, Man United's best player so far. One reaction. I, I think. Quite often you you get this, it happens with Manchester United, but it happens with all big clubs where they're after something fresh in midfield and they bring in a young player who hits the ground running and looks really good, partly because they run around quite a lot, partly because they're technically very proficient because they are breaking out of an elite academy. It's that ability to kind of ride that wave of goodwill that's coming your way from everyone around you in the team and everyone in the stands, I think. And yeah, he, he did do really well. I don't, I'm not sure he was United's best player, but... Yeah, he's certainly got a maturity to him. I mean, he looks about 14 years old. It's depressing seeing him be really good on a football what, what pitch. Does he, what did he actually do? Cleared one off the line. The oh, that's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I think uh, it, it, your question is valid because I think that's the point. I think there's a, it, there's almost, it's almost about an intensity and a mindset. I think sometimes we expect with young players they're going to get knocked off the ball, that they're going to get down when they make mistakes. He doesn't look like that. He looks like he's full of belief. The question is what happens a year down the line because we've seen repeatedly at elite clubs young players coming in and looking really good and then um, everything else tends to settle down a little bit and they have this plateau and it's what you do with the plateau but yeah he's clearly got bags of talent and there's not a better place in Manchester United squad to be in than a central midfielder who you know is trying to make his way because he should get a lot of minutes if he plays well More good news for Man United then Bad news for Everton, of course, the fact that they are now five points adrift of safety following this 10-point penalty that they've been handed and are appealing. And, yeah, worth mentioning the reaction, the kind of coordinate, the choreographed response to the placards with the the words Premier League corrupt on them, the fly pass to the, uh, the aeroplane at uh, Manchester City <laughs> on Saturday. 
Also, there was a pregame march, which I think people who were at the march reckon the whole stadium went on the pregame march. Really? From around nearby roads and around um, the ground. And which actually, um, I think, did deliver the best picture, I suppose, associated with this. And there was a guy walking down with down with this sort of thing placard. Right. Which, uh, yeah. Probably good. Andy Burnham, who was there <laughs> yeah, in his yeah, capacity yeah. as Everton season ticket holder. And he, he's actually written, I think he was saying yeah. to the Premier League, demanding that they release their... The uh, motivation of release the audio. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think yeah, he wants the papers. I mean, this is speculation. Well, that's just not any that evidence that, <laughs> yeah. that the the that the Premier League mm. discussed the fact that they're trying to avoid yeah. an independent regulator being brought in in their decision in, as to what kind of penalty to hand Everton, which uh, you know, is it's a valid talking point. I, I think mean, the, the, there's two reasons for well, there's three reasons for that huge protest. One is it's transparent anger, it's exactly as it looks like. The second is that there is a benefit at a time like this to creating a siege mentality around a club that has been pushed into the relegation zone to kind of say it's us against the world. The atmosphere at Goodison was, by all accounts, as good as it's ever been, and that's because of the protest. And the third is by kicking up a stink, you hope to earn some goodwill amongst neutral voices and therefore push pressure on the Premier League to reduce your sentence to the five or six points that we probably expected. Um, so it's, it was within their interest. I think, look, uh, if it had been any club, the reaction would have been exactly the same because I think there's this kind of righteous fury about it. The thing that's really interesting to me is that kind of a few months ago, Fahad Mashiru was the bad guy and it was all like protesting against that mismanagement. Um, and now it's almost like he's been been able to escape the spotlight during Everton's worst days. He's been able to escape that spotlight because it's all been pushed onto the Premier League. I suspect he's pretty happy about that. Mm. Well, see, I, I think that this is possibly my maybe ambivalence towards the Everton protest is because Premier League did not mismanage Everton. It's the Everton's ownership that mismanaged sure, Everton. But in a world in which a club that goes bankrupt gets a nine-point penalty, the ten-point, I think the magnitude is not. I, I don't think the protest is that, that there was no case to argue. It's just that the the penalty does seem <laughs> disproportionate, unless the Premier League are ready to come out and explain why it was so much more than people. So, and, and I think this is where it's important for Premier League to improve its communication, shall we say? Uh, because so far, pretty much all that everyone's seen is the report. I mean, one thing that has been really irritating me, I haven't seen the breakdown of the FFP calculations. I mean, there are people like the Swiss Ramble out there who've done a detailed breakdown from the available numbers. But I also have questions about some of the numbers that they've come up with. Because, I mean, one thing I'm looking at is this 88 million that was written off for COVID, which is... Well, I'm, sh I'm sure the Premier League would have had... I mean, they'll have had people examine these numbers. Not that... Concept, but, I, th I, th I think the concept of writing mm. off this 88 million when no one else in the league does. Villa did 13, no one else did anything. Right. So Everton's transfer strategy was unique in this particular way. I really struggle with this concept. Okay. Oh, there's going to be a lot of opportunity, no doubt, to discuss the points and the penalty. Uh, for now, let's just say that, uh, yeah, United next up will be taking on Newcastle, who were 4-1 winners against Chelsea on Saturday afternoon. I was kind of redolent of the time they took PSG apart by the same scoreline, only this time they did it without, what, half a dozen of their starters? Yeah. Going into this weekend, I looked at Tottenham and I looked at Newcastle. There's two of these clubs roughly in similar positions in the league with probably roughly the same ambitions this season. And they both feel like these games of buckaroo where you take off another really important player and you take out another cog in the system and you wait to see how long everything until everything implodes and at Tottenham today I think it was fine and then Bentancourt came off and he was the last one that imploded Newcastle you seem to be able to do <laughs> take off more and more and more <laughs> each time and they just stay as strong they were very lucky to 
I think that's the worst defensive display I've ever seen from a inverted commas big six team. Thiago um, Silva. Thiago yeah, well, but yeah, but like yeah. yes, Thiago Silva, but also Bamba Chile was at fault for literally probably two goals. Mark Cucurella kind of Mark Cucurella his way through the game and obviously got booked and now he's banned. Just nobody. Robert Sanchez doesn't seem to un, be able to suddenly deal with a free kick into the box or a corner. It's just it, it's so broken. And, when, and that when, bit where he fell over, I mean, kind of on his own. Was yeah. a, a concern. There, there are a number of times. <laughs> yeah, but there are there are times when you watch Chelsea, you think, okay, I can see sort of what's happening here, and then there are times when you watch them and think, like, what are you doing all week in training? Like, what what did you think Newcastle were going to try and do to you? They're going to try and be really intense. They're going to press you in the ball when you with your centre backs. They're going to try and get balls into the box, and they were going to try and get Anthony Gordon running at Reese James, and they failed every task. Well, well Pochettino called it their worst performance of the season. But but Newcastle, how has Eddie Howe been able to keep them ticking at this kind of level? I, I think this is what Daniel mentioned that towards the end, Anthony Gordon, and the fact that the whole Chelsea right flank ended up being unprotected because they got Gordon running at them. And Joe Ellington is just this big force behind them, just sweeping everything up, pressing. So they effectively, I think, overwhelmed Thiago Silva and James, who weren't really protected by their midfield at all. And if, if anything, at times, you end up with Chelsea Gordon watching, because I think that's pretty much what happens on the first goal. They completely forget about other players. Obviously, Gordon's cross for, this, uh, for the second goal. And then the finish for the fourth from Gordon was just mm. sublime. So I think there is a situation where I think Eddie Howe just found a weak point in Chelsea, and they absolutely crumbled. And maybe this is, again, the absence of Caicedo. I mean, by the time Caicedo came on, you know, the game was over. And, you know, we'll get on to the South Americans flying from their games and, you know, the state they can be in. So, obviously, he couldn't play this game. And I think perhaps sometimes you need a midfielder to just react to what's happening around him. And that midfielder just wasn't there. Mm. Another big thing for Newcastle is the fact that Alexander Isaac is one of the yeah. players back from, from injury. Lovely assist from mm. the 17-year-old Lewis Miley. Oh, I mean, yeah. That was really nice disguise on that. And Kukurea, who Daniel mentioned, was playing him on side. Great finish. He, yeah, he, he is really important for them obviously. Um, and, and, you know, they were missing both him and Wilson for a period. You know, they have had this run of injuries and it'll be interesting now to see, you know, where they end up Europe-wise because they could be still in the Champions League, they could drop down to the Europa League or they could be out altogether. And I think any of those will have implications on their Premier League season probably. Yeah. But G Gordon's been brilliant. Really, really mm -hmm. impressive. I think, you know, for them, they've been with that Barnes, which people kind of forget because he was there for such a short time before he got injured. But they do have some really exciting uh, attacking players. Very quickly, a shout out to Jamal Assel as well, who hadn't started a game all season until September. I think he started five games last season, two in the Premier League, and Newcastle lost both of those. He just was just nowhere. And as Sven Botman getting injured brought him in for the side. And he's since been in a defence that's beaten Man City, PSG, Arsenal and Chelsea. He's not a ball-playing central defender. He's not <laughs> a, a, a Fabian Scher or a Sven Botman, but... He's doing what he does exceptionally well at the moment. And and I think he probably thought his career at Newcastle... Newcastle fans certainly thought that his career at Newcastle was over. And But there's a number of defenders this season. Maguire's another obvious example who's kind of just come back and done the basics well and suddenly their team has improved again. He's a forest... Yeah, start at Forest. Purely coincidental. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Sales and company will be having a... Pretty interesting trip to the Parc des Princes on Tuesday to take on Paris Saint-Germain in the Champions League. Currently bottom of that group, but it's very, very tight. And then they've got Man United at St. James's on Saturday. As for Chelsea, their next game is at home to Brighton. They'll be facing that without Rhys James, who got sent off for a second bookable event after he picked up a yellow for kicking the ball away. 
They did get a nice free kick from Raheem Sterling, though. So yeah. I'm surprised to see him on free kicks. Like, I think it's... Did, did he take them now? Well, it's, it was really weird because as soon as it went, he clearly lined it yeah, up. Yeah, it was him. It was, it was as if yeah, he'd been yeah. practising all four oh, But have you, like, do you remember him one. taking a free kick in the Premier League? No, I think this he season? scored one other free kick in the like Premier ever. League. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, it, no, it was really surprising. Mm. And then his second half, having scored a free kick, he then gave Reese James one, who did nothing with it. And you think, you've just scored a free kick, mate. Take the next one. Team Probably player. got as many direct free kicks now as Cristiano Ronaldo in the Premier League. Possibly. Anyway, just to shout out the Totally Football Show European edition, which will be out first thing on Tuesday for you, looking ahead to match day five of the Champions League. Also out on Tuesday, Full Time Europe, which is the Athletics Women's Football Podcast. Uh, next up, we're off to the Etihad. Before you get back to this Athletic Podcast, did you know it's just one of many made by the Athletic every week? I'm Abby Patterson, senior producer here at The Athletic, and I get to work across so many of our shows. But even I have my favourites. Sometimes you're just too busy for a full-length podcast. I get it. We've all been there. Well, we've got a show to help you. Get up to speed with all the football stories you need to know about with our daily football briefing. It's done and dusted. Saudi Arabia will host the 2034 World Cup. Got a bug for the women's game? Then Full Time Europe is for you. It's our dedicated women's football podcast answering the questions you're asking from the WSL and Champions League. So what's going wrong at Arsenal? But perhaps you want to know exactly how a team has set itself up. Then come to the audio whiteboard and join Michael Cox and our analytics gurus as they dissect and examine the game like nobody else can. That's on the Athletic Football Tactics podcast. I don't think I've ever seen a striker who reads the game so well. Just search The Athletic wherever you're listening to this podcast now and you'll find your next podcast obsession in no time at all. Now, let's get back to your show. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Diaz was looking for Gravenberg, and intentionally he finds Salah. And there's Alexander Arnold, and it's 1 1. Liverpool have found a way. They were always in the game. Now they're level in the game. Saturday lunchtime, Manchester City 1, Liverpool 1. A game that ranked six out of seven on Saturday evening's match of the day. Mm. It was no Forest Brighton, to be honest, so you know, <laughs> it's only fair. <laughs> right. How significant, though, was this draw <laughs> for both sides? I think it's more important for Liverpool than City, in a way, because obviously City lose the winning run, etc., and they were very disappointed after the game. But for Liverpool, I think a team where it's at at the moment, to be able to go to the Etihad, where they never win, and get a draw like they did, come back from 1-0 down, mm. not fold like they did in April, which I think is huge, huge difference. Midfield in April, when they got battered 4-1, was Henderson, Fabinho, Elliott. Midfield this time was Jones, McAllister, Sobosley. This is McAllister, who was massively jet-lagged and falling asleep in team talks. Right. And yet still, you know, they kept the shape in the first half. The goal... It was just, just an error. And in the second half, they stayed the in it. The goal from City. The goal from City yeah, was, Allison was, was, was slipping a, over. Alisson slipping over. And it, it's, a, it's a thing uh, which Klopp has, I think, the expression for it. They basically weren't ready to defend. Right. So you see, you have a situation where they weren't ready to such an extent that Aki just went between some I mean, that was bad. Yeah, sorry, they, that was he sort of wandered through yeah, them. Yeah. And then Alisson should still, I think, save it. So that was one bad moment. But overall, mm. the content of that was pretty good, even though Klopp wasn't too happy with it because they didn't do much offensively in the first How time. surprised, though, were, when you left the Etihad, how surprised were you you were walking away with a point? Sash? I don't think we're terribly surprised having seen the game. That's the thing. So it's just, it's... 
when I was on the pod last time, I mm. thought that this game would be hugely important in determining whether Liverpool right. can sustain a title challenge. Mm. Having walked away from that, I think in conjunction with winning games against the lower teams and looking at what the other teams are doing, yes, they're still very much in the title race and they can compete with City. I appreciate that City didn't have Stones, didn't have Grealish, didn't have Kevin De Bruyne, but conceptually to stay within this game, to come away with a point from the Etihad, I think it's, it's a big boost to what okay. the club's doing. Pep afterwards asked repeatedly about the second City goal, which was then mm. ruled out because of a foul. <laughs> oh, go on then, Daniel. It just wasn't... I mean, I know the whole thing about like the, the refereeing crisis is entirely like fueled by self-interest, but it was very funny to kind of see notorious Liverpool supporters that I follow sort of very much brushing over that very soft foul on uh, given... On, Do you think it was a soft foul? I didn't, don't think it was a foul at all. I think it was a foul because keepers in the air... He goes through his shoulder. You look where the keeper ends up. He didn't end up in, the, in his net, well, in, over his goal line, in his goal by magic. So, from what I understand, <laughs> these are the fouls that are always given. So, in that sense, we shouldn't be surprised. But I did feel that Alisson had managed to miss catching the ball before the foul from Kanji. He has his arm on his shoulder right, at the, at the very, very moment. And, okay. I, and I think so. I think, I think what Akanji does is very smart right. because he's not that far away from Alisson, but he jumps with him, having no chance to play the ball. Hmm. And arm on the shoulder, but also enough of a force to it to basically throw him off balance. I think that's a foul. Unfortunately, in the Premier League, we have seen stuff like, you know, remember when Willy Bolly basically assaulted Dubravka and the goal was given. And mm. I was like, the, I, and because there have been so many unbelievable calls in the past, I think basically affects the, what people think of this goal. But I honestly can't believe there's even discussion about this. Charlie, you're in Stockley Park for us. What are you giving? <laughs> uh, yeah, good process. Um... <laughs> To be honest, it was one of those where I thought... I certainly didn't think it would be overturned once it was given as it was. I also don't think it would have been overturned the other way. It felt fairly marginal. Generally, goalkeepers are a protected species, and Sasha will Sasha will say that's as it should be. Uh, that tends, Scum, yeah. Yeah, the kind of proper football man thing is just like they get... You know, you can't breathe on a goalkeeper. Uh, I think it's a marginal one. Well, I, anyway, I, don't, I don't think it's glaring they didn't give way. it. And as a result, when uh, Ran Gravenbach, Gramberg, Gramberg, I don't know, whatever, <laughs> roamed upfield mm -hmm. late on. Good sub. It was good sub. Well, I, just, I was going to say on the subs, I mean, I'm, I'm aware that I, I'm about to play the world's smallest violin, but you look at the squad depth of Manchester City versus Liverpool yeah. this season. They had no attacking subs Yeah, yesterday. they didn't. I mean, no. Liverpool put on Luis Diaz, mm -hmm. Gakpo, Gravenberg, Elliot and Endo. Uh, and could have brought on Gomez and Ibrahim Kanati if the game mm -hmm. was different. City didn't make a sub, and, and normally that's you know everyone sort of rice smiles at Pep, but there wasn't anyone to bring on. In that I, situation. I was looking at the substitution. Oscar Bob was the yeah, only attacking yeah, exactly. player there, and and it would have made very little sense to bring him on. I think but in that situation, this happens surprisingly often with City though, because they do have a relatively small squad. They tend to pack it with sort of sixteen and seventeen really really good players, and that's why it works so well. But then you get a couple of injuries. And it can, and especially if those injuries are in the same position, it can suddenly look mm. they don't have. They have also sold options. Cole Palmer, Riyad Mahrez, Gundogan, Sterling, Jesus, and Zinchenko since the start of last summer. So like they they have really gone in on this. Yeah. Uh, and I know Grealish was ill, and Mateus Nunes was had sustained an injury on international break. De Bruyne is out. De Bruyne is mm. out. Suddenly that bench looks very different. Don't get me wrong, but uh, yeah, I just I just suddenly thought with half an hour to go, I looked at the benches and thought Scott Carson. Yeah, he's there. Could he's come on as a striker. So yeah. you've done that before. What a great job! Third choice keeper for, for City. It's a brilliant job. Trent, it was anyway. Who equalised after that fine run by Gravenberg, uh, and then the final whistle, and we had the beef between Darwin and Pep. Has anyone come up with a conclusive? 
It lo- looked as though Darwin was basically pointing at back at the goal where Trent yeah. had scored. Was that what? Sorry, it's I, 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 definitely Darwin started something, but yeah. I have I don't think anyone has any idea what he started. But it was, it, I yeah, really want to know. I know it, it, the, the way it was pointing. But yeah. I don't know if it, it was certainly referring like it was saying like you did this back then. Yeah. I don't know if it was about that goal mm. or that he, that Pep had been too exuberant at another moment. Who knows? I mean, he is an, an absolute agent of chaos, Darwin Nunes. I, I, I have to Even say, in the dugout, I, I, I fully accept that Liverpool fans walking out of the game will be happy with a point, but you really could have won it if with Nunes you get what you get in that he has more than five shots a game, which is, I think, like 1.3 on average or higher than any other Premier League player. It's nonsense how many shots he gets to take. I think he's on 5.12 or something. 5.26 per 90. Yeah, nobody else has got more than like 3.9, I think, which is just ludicrous. Wow. And... But he 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 doesn't. You know, he he takes his shots from funny places. He misses the chances he thinks he's going to score. He scores the chances you think he's got no chance with. Um, he is incredibly frustrating, but as a neutral, a fantastic player to watch. And I just think in those moments, I, Klopp must just be thinking we can make him five percent more calm in front of goal. Um, we can win the league because he the, the amount of chances he gets. I think ironically, yesterday there were situations where he should have shot and he didn't. Whatever he does, yeah. yeah, the, the whole thing often doesn't make sense. But I think he's already much improved on what he was last season. Agreed. If anything, his involvement in the general team play. If anything, yesterday he was less involved. Like you know, only fourteen passes, only twenty three touches, which is kind of towards half of what he's usually involved in. I think one of the reasons for that he was up against four centre backs. I mean, it's quite that was. I think City now are quite hard to play against. You know, quite hard hmm. even to count attack they're defensively they're very very good really okay because I was just going to ask whether City do have a bit of a problem that they're not controlling games the way they used to whether the arrival of Jeremy Doku is this generation's Asprilia to Newcastle right? <laughs> <laughs> nice. No, nice nice but City do this like they I don't know they, you know they always have they remind me of, like someone who after every exam would be like oh no I've done terribly like this is going to be the year but then we'll <laughs> obviously be fine we'll work it out like la- you know remember last season as late as February it was you know City they've got a big problem you know they're, they're not going to win the league and I feel like they've always got this little issue and then Pep will work it out and they'll, they'll I don't think it. it's an issue I actually think that Pep just makes it interesting for himself what can we do this season mm. last year what can we do with Holland this year what can we do with so what's he doing this well, season he, he, well, he wanted he wanted this season I think to win via control to kind of strangle games to pursue three three competitions deep with the energy levels reduced from last year. Yeah, well, because that was what won them the treble was yeah, going yeah. to that four centre back model. It was yeah. amazing, and and then that that's what you talk about. That that's why they're so hard to play against now. But one thing that was noticeable on Saturday morning was I used to we used to go to the Etihad, and there would be periods of suffocating pressure. You couldn't come out; they would just hem you in. It wasn't there on Saturday. Um, I don't know whether it's a function of you know the injuries and or or you know the fact that they couldn't change things up. But I thought Bernardo was magnificent. Doku was very interesting. Not that maybe as good as some people have made out, but there was certainly something happening. But this great sense of being basically squashed into the ground just wasn't there. Yeah, they do remind me of um, the best Ferguson's United teams in the way they pace themselves in the tight. Like they know how to do that because often with Fergie's United, you, you around this time of year, you'd think like it just doesn't quite seem right. But they would be kind of. Second half out. of the season, yeah. Second half of the season, and and you know it's it's not as if they're <laughs> a long way off top. They're what a point off. Point, so, yeah. Just on the on the subject of City, having mentioned this notion that the Premier League was sending a signal as well as punishing Everton with their ten point penalty, mm. to what extent do you think City and possibly Chelsea are currently feeling very worried about the future? I, th- I think they are feeling worried. Uh, I think it, it inevitably suggests precedent. The cases are very different. 
Um, Everton were accused of rule breaking. City are accused of systematically cheating to avoid rule breaking. They're, they're two different things, and they will be dealt. It doesn't with sound different... a lot better though. No, no, it's, it's, it absolutely doesn't. Lot... And if they are found guilty, yeah. the punishment will be but many th- times greater than that. The, the difficulty is. It was very easy to prove Everton's guilt. It's very exactly. it's, with City with the City's case. It's all about proving the guilt, which is mm. beyond a reasonable doubt very difficult. And look, the Premier League are now going to come under a huge amount of pressure for a verdict to be the found. The plane in those flying cases. by the Etihad was a pretty and from every other club, choice. I think, because yeah. at the moment there's a sense that the Premier League is, you know, PR wise, is really struggling here. It's got three big questions with Everton, Chelsea, and Manchester City, and they affect you know, potentially affect top four and top six, the title and relegation. This needs to be sorted out quickly, but it isn't easy. They want this sorted out as efficiently as everybody else does, but it's not easy. Just to give a bit of love uh, to Trent uh, Alexander-Arnold, who I thought defended pretty well against Doku, um, not on his own, as he did in April. This time Soboslai helped, McAllister helped, I thought Matip was superb. But the, the way he took the goal was just, I mean, first it was a brilliantly constructed move and then Gravenberg makes the run to make the opening. First touch and second touch straight in. I mean, we were kind of right in front of it as the ball's coming towards us. The strike was so sweet. And then he went over to the City fans. I mean, I'm not sure whether he heard the chance of feed the Scousers, but, you know, the way and responded afterwards, you know, the Scousers and that team. So I think, it, I, don't, I don't know whether he was making a point of the fact he that he was gave it the shush. shush. The, so yeah. I, I don't know whether he's spoken after the game, why he gave them the shush, because he, they could have just been generally just barracking him, you know, because he's the opposition right back and a star player. Uh, but it was kind of, it was a moment where I think a lot of Liverpool fans went, well, you know, fair play. This, this, is, this is a good moment for us. Okay. Similar goal to the one, I think, scored by Ollie Watkins in Sunday afternoons. Yeah. Clash between Spurs yeah, and Villa. Yeah, I mean, not dissimilar to Harlan's as well. In the first, no, the way, true. Yeah. really good first touch out of his feet, and then mm. better, better, better strike from a better, a better strike. Yeah. yeah. So Spurs losing against Villa sees Villa move past them into the top four for the first time, Charlie, since two thousand and nine. After this long in the season, is that right? Yes, after thirteen or more games, which sounds kind of significant. Arsenal, meanwhile, moving top of the table with a 1-0 win at Brentford, which is possibly less interesting. Should we talk about the game that you guys were both at, at uh, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium? How impressive were Villa after a a ropey first half? I I honestly can't tell. Uh, This is the first game that I've seen Spurs this season, and and this is a a huge compliment to Ange Postacoglu, where I've not thought what would have happened if Harry Kane was here. Um, But it was impossible not to today. Spurs missed... So many. I mean, they missed two golden chances in the first four minutes. It was exactly as we expected, which was two high lines, a lot of chaos. Nobody really defending very well. I was more surprised with Villa for that because Tottenham had a back four of four fullbacks, and they had two midfielders who you know, feel like forgotten parts of an abandoned robot. They were just, you know, that's Brian Gill and Giovanni Lo Celso. Tottenham were incredibly makeshift and played in a makeshift manner because Ben Tancor went off and, and ruined that. I yeah, think. I mean, Spurs played without a centre-back or a defensive midfielder, which, you know, was clearly a, a reflection of how they're missing a load of players. And not an, indi- an, an indictment of Eric Dyer's... Well, yeah, I mean, I think Dyer is not um, quick enough to play, to play the way Andrew wants to play. He wants to play the high line. Obviously, Villa played the high line as well. I agree with Dan. I mean, it was a weird game in some ways. I, I think v- Villa did what they needed to do. I think they rode their luck at times as well. Though I also think when you play an offside trap, we always kind of put an element of luck to that, which is maybe unfair because it is very well choreographed. It just seems so 
such a high wire act whilst watching that you're kind of like, how are they confident enough to do it? But they kept doing it. Son had three goals disallowed uh, for offside. And when they played each other in May, it was similar. Villa held a high line. I think that game broke the record for most offsides in a game by one team. And I think for Spurs, it's one of those things where they've they've lost three games in a row. In each of those, they've taken the lead. And they've taken the lead. So, you know, the way football is now, top-level football anyway, we feel duty-bound to say is they're in a crisis, aren't they? I mean, they must be. They've lost three games. But I think everyone kind of understands with a little bit of context and knows that, you know, we always thought this would be a project and a process. You know, the whole thing with Postcoglu before the start of the season was, oh, it will take a bit of time. They massively exceeded expectations. The thing everyone kept saying was they've got a good first 11, but their squad's quite thin. They've had a bunch of injuries. The squad's been exposed. But I don't think, you know, and today they could have played Eric Dyer. They could have played uh, Pierre-Emil Hoybier to start. They did neither of those things. But they might well have lost doing that anyway. So I don't think there's much... There's not actually that much frustration uh, apart from the result, but the way they played was actually pretty good today, right. given all the absences, especially. They also, they also, ha- uh, th- there's a set of supporters who, very obviously, as soon as you go in the stadium, before and after even defeats, remember what it was, what this would have been like under the previous manager. And if Tottenham had had that sort of team out under Antonio Conte, they'd have kept men behind the ball. They wouldn't have tried to attack. They might have got a point, they might not have done, but it, it wouldn't have been enjoyable. And it was still enjoyable today. The fans yeah. did enjoy it. They created chances. Yes, they are flawed, and yes, they conceded a number of clear-cut chances, but it, it was fun. Mm. Villa are just too good to be done. I mean, to... Villa fans can think about what this team would have been like under their previous manager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they'll do that fondly because they, they, uh, yeah, they're, just, they're just too good. They had too many parts that Tottenham didn't have today they've got a magnificent back four or magnificent centre backs they've got really good energy in midfield that Tottenham just lacked they've got a, a fabulous number nine striker who is I mean he was given space anyway but I think he's he's one of the best in well he's in the top three in the country strikers at finding space around mm. the penalty area now and his finishing has been Absolutely brilliant this season. I mean, one thing that links those two regimes is Matty Cash putting in Ah, nasty tackles on Spurs players. He did one on Matt Doherty that put him out for a while. He did one on Bentoncourt today. And I think he's lucky that, uh, and it's probably a good thing for Spurs that Romero wasn't on the pitch because I think there would have been some retribution there because he looked furious (laughs) even when he wasn't playing. And you could see the Spurs players were absolutely raging, some of them. Bentancur coming back off an ACL. This is his first start uh, for Spurs since February. How badly is he injured? Well, it's his ankle. Um, It's too early to say at this point, but um, at least... You know, it's, was there any particular me. reason for Cash going in? Was was Bentancur running rings around him? Or did Cash no, it, but it was one of those where I think Bentancur was passing backwards Strange. and Cash I, comes yeah. flying it, in. It was, it was very quickly after the long VAR dis- delay and disallowed goal, was it? So I wondered if, from memory, so I wonder if maybe it was a kind of frustrated reaction to that. But yeah, it was a, yeah, it was a pretty nasty challenge. Mm. He got to, I mean, Emery took him off at half time basically for his own good because he then fouled a doggy and it was one of those where it was clearly one more and you're off. So again, smart management and his, and his subs worked really well. Tiedemans came on, made the goal, made a difference. Playing in, you know, he's been playing the season in a kind of off the striker role, which we don't normally associate him with. But um, yeah, he made a vital contribution. There are two points off the top, Sash. They are going to be hosting both Arsenal and Man City 
in the space of a week at the start of December. Well, let's see what they can do with those free kicks because I thought the free kick that they did today to equalize was actually brilliantly executed. I mean, again, insane high line, a lot of space. Key. I mean, I think I think I think one of the things that took advantage of today, Vicari went to pieces. I think after conceding that goal because this is a thing that I find quite quite weird often. So he's out, obviously high line. Vicari is on his penalty spot. The ball is coming towards the penalty spot. No, Vicario starts retreating backwards. And I just do not understand when keepers do that because surely you can step two yards and just catch the ball just there. Instead, he's six out of his line and you know he gets caught out by a very good header. And I think there was a few of those free kicks that Villa had today. And then he just started fluffing chance of the second half. I don't think he did very well for the goal. He nearly got lobbed. I mean, it's a function of how he plays. There was that he fluffed the save fumbled, on, yeah. on, on the post. So I don't know. Was there anything specific that happened to you? I don't know. I mean, it's his Same first... Same Emerson Royale. <laughs> yes. It's not always easy. It's, it's his first... I mean, he had a few shaky moments on his debut mm. against Brentford. Since then, he's been so yeah, it's, solid. Yeah, it's the first game where he's been like this. It's hard to know. He had an illness as well during the international break. Um... But yeah, it it wasn't his best day. I mean, Postecoglou talked about that as well in his press conference. The fact, you know, one of the downsides, there are probably a few, but playing four centre-backs did mean they were more vulnerable at set pieces. And obviously, so it proved. And I think that was such a crucial goal for Villa to score. Spurs put so much into that first half. They were pressing so high and so aggressively and you just felt they needed to go in at half-time ahead. Didn't happen. If it's goalkeeper's not looking comfortable hereafter, then uh, let's have a quick word about Arsenal's 1-0 winner at Brentford. Kai Havertz, the hero... Uh, with the header in the 89th minute, which put them top of the table. At the other end, uh, Aaron Ramsdale reacting to his rare opportunity and not the greatest of fashions. Poor guy. Yeah, mm. poor guy. Um, I think, I mean, professional sports can be very, very cruel. And obviously, Arteta made his decision about the goalkeeping change. But I very rarely remember, I don't know, goalkeeper taking it this badly. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's that. So, I mean, I would say David Raya has played 12 times for Arsenal, but no game has furthered his cause more than yesterday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, that's yeah, cruel that's, to say, but it's true. Actually, I think it's fair, yeah. Until yeah. yesterday, I think there was still a school of like, oh, you know, mm. I mean, I think most people realised Raya was the number one, but I think there was school, a school of like, but, you know, sh- you know, should he? What about Ramsdale? I think this, and, and you know, Arteta's done that. I think Postacoglu's doing that a bit with some of these players is kind of saying, Okay, here's your chance. Go and prove me wrong. I awkward was the word I used watching this game. It was genuinely quite awkward and uncomfortable to watch. And right. I, th- but I think part of it is it's it, it's very relatable. The one where he threw the ball just kind of down into the ground. I think most people who've played football or any sport have had a moment where they're just so frazzled, they're in two minds. You know, be it taking a throw in or playing a simple pass, you get caught up, and it, it's 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 yips. But but I think yes about taking it badly. But I do think Ramsdale. So much of it is because he's English, he's really likeable, he's done quite a lot of media, so people feel like they know him, Arsenal fans love him. And so it's just, it it feels a lot more relatable than a lot of these situations. For instance, you know, Ramsdale came in when Arteta did something similar with Burnt Leno. Yeah. No one cared about Burnt Leno's feelings. I did. Okay, Sash did. (laughs) I was the one one else cared. But Ramsdale, you know, I think Arsenal fans especially are feeling this quite keenly. Right. And yesterday it was, especially, it was just so writ large. Well, it, it took two uh, goal line clearances from his teammates, Rice and Zinchenko, uh, to prevent the uh, day taking on a very different hue. But as it is, Arsenal are top of the table by one point. As we move on to things down the other end, next. Hello, listeners. This is Ian Stone, host of Handbrake Off, your dedicated Arsenal podcast from The Athletic. 
myself and Amy Lawrence, Adrian Clark, Art De Roche and James Medicolas are with you twice a week, every week throughout the season, as we bring you all the news and views from in and around the club. Listen for free wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to follow and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson, the Football Content Awards International Podcast of the Year. Down the bottom of the Premier League, Luton win, Bournemouth win again. Forest lost, so did Everton, Burnley, well, yeah. Uh, let's talk about the Cherries, 3-1 winners away at Sheffield United. Ooh, that's their first away win of the season. Not long ago, it seemed like a matter of time before Andoni was going to be uh, heading back to Spain. But now, you feel probably the Cherries are going to be hanging on to him with increasingly tight grip. Yeah, I mean, we did say at the time, I think it was because of the, the way the fixtures went, I think it was December the 5th was Bournemouth's first game of this season where they played a team they played last season that they'd beaten. So they had this horrible fixture run where they either had a promoted team or they had a team they'd lost or drawn to last year, last year and it was normally lost. Um, and Iriola's point was always, when the fixture list gets better my style will look better because I love playing these wingers that are really high at the pitch that can stay high at the pitch and then we can counter-attack teams and we can cause them problems. And that's exactly what they're doing right now. Um, Marcus Tavernier looks great. Antoine Semenya looks brilliant. Justin Clivert was playing rather than out wide because they've got so many wingers. He was kind of playing as this number 10 off Solanke. They've still got David Brooks and they've got Luis Sinistera and they've got Dango Atara. They've got so many wingers and it just fits Iriola, I think. I think there'll be a team that are fine this season because they'll beat the teams that they're, they're better than, which is probably only three or four in the league, but that'll be enough. They've okay. also had a pretty huge boost with that Everton 10-point yeah. deduction. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> as cynical as that's out, but, you know, they're suddenly, you know, they're, what, seven points... Uh, clear of the relegation zone and Everton who I think would have been you know they, they were above them and, and now Bournemouth suddenly look fairly comfortable Bournemouth had 23 shots 11 on target whereas the home fans had to wait until the 88th minute to see their side produce but, one of those Sheffield United are doing that thing which can happen um, where if a team is in the relegation zone all season, they they almost certainly will sack their manager at some point. It's kind of about when you sack your manager. And they drew against Everton when it looked bleak the game before the September international break, which brought Hacking Bottom some time. 
and then they beat Wolves and drew with Brighton immediately before the last international break, which again bought Heckingbottom some time because if you're going to sack a manager, it's in, generally in an international break. Mm. And then they've suffered really awful defeats as soon as the international break is over. And that is a really, really surefire way to go down, basically. Well, they, were, they were booed off at the interval by their home fans. Good news for Heckingbottom and United uh, is that they're facing Burnley next week. Burnley, who have... Have they lost six games in a row, home and away? Seven home games. Seven oh. at home, but I think it's also six, six in a row in a, home. Six or seven in a row. Away. Six, six in a row now. Six in a row in total, but seven, the, the last seven at home. Yeah. Uh, which is the makes them only the second team in English league history to do that. Another former tough place oh. to go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the, the, does, the, does the manager who loses that game get sacked finally? I mean, it's meant, it's crazy that this season no one's been sacked. But mm. why would you sack Vincent Company if you're heading to the Championship where he's proven something mm. incredibly Th- that is That is absolutely manager. fair. The Daniel so, Farker yeah. Yeah, Daniel yeah. reason for syndrome. maintaining um, employment, yeah. Well, they were leading uh, brutally right mm. until the 86th minute. Hmm. Um, I mean, you know, we, some great goals this weekend, but the Thomas Suchek uh, volley with which the Hammers actually ended up taking all three points was magnificent. Yeah, Thomas Suchek, who is on a phenomenal run of scoring late goals. He scored an 88th-minute winner for West Ham against Forest before the international break. He scored a 90th-minute goal for the Czech Republic against Moldova during the international break, and now he scored a 90th-minute winner for West Ham at Burnley after the international break. Um, the interesting thing about West Ham, very quickly, is mm. Divin Mubama is their superstar academy forward and is out of contract at the end of the season and has not signed a new deal because he wants minutes and was left on the bench for Danny Ings at the weekend, which caused some unease amongst West Ham fans, shall we say. And he eventually came on for Ings when they were 1-0 down after 62, 63 minutes and looked really bright and West Ham won the game. So And forced the own goal, didn't yes, I mean, it? Yeah. Like it was his goal at first. And hopefully that means he gets to start now, Bowen and Antonio both injured. Let's give also a shout to Kudus because I think it's both his crosses that actually forced mm. the, forced the mm. goals. And well, very nice. I'm going to resist it. Yeah, there you go. All right. Uh, Kudus also to Luton, who picked up their first ever Premier League win at Kenilworth Road. Uh, This was 2-1 against Crystal Palace. And uh, one of the, well, the Crystal Palace goal, Michael Ollis's stunner. Fabulous run here by Elisette. Back on his left side. Oh, my goodness. Quality. Yeah. So we've seen some pretty special goals this weekend. Where does this one rank? And can you describe it? Can you paint a little picture? Well, he it, it, he goes on a kind of dribble up the touchline, beats a few players, and then cuts inside and bends one into top corner. It's a brilliant goal. Probably the second best after Garnacho mm. this weekend. Actually, I think that's the, this is the thing, because he's run it so long, you think he's beating a few players. It's the same player, Bell, he's beating a few times. So he went from the halfway line to scoring the goal. Just past one just, guy. Just keeps beating it. <laughs> yeah, just, but just past one guy. But what an astonishing finish. But then again, it's the first one he scored in 10 months. Since was, that free kick against yeah, United. Another lucky goal. Yeah, in Jan- January. Yeah. He's, been, he's, he's been injured, of course, injured, yeah. yeah. But, well, I mean, again, we're talking about with um, Newcastle and Spurs and, and the frustration with injuries. I mean, how mad it must be for Palace that you finally get Elise back and then you lose Eze. I mean, a lot of things maddening. I think also going to Luton and continuing to play in a pretty conservative way uh, is also 
annoying Crystal Palace fans. But, but also losing two players to injury. I mean, Eze got kicked, which I thought was a bit harsh again. I think he was coming back from injury. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and then Ducore yeah, ACL. That, yeah, um, that sounds yeah. like uh, Roy Hodgson's out mm. the game. Like, it's not going to be a short one. It's going to be months. And he was probably their player of the season last year. And big rumours in the summer, of course, about him leaving and yeah, stuff. Yeah, uh, they lose a couple to, to AFCON as well mm -hmm. in January, February. I know I will go there. So, Do you fear for them? Are we going to lose you to AFCON, Daniel? Oh, yes, I hope so. Yeah. Uh, oh, only what? for... Provisionally, yeah, for 10 days in the knockout for okay. quarterfinals on where, where is it? Ivory Coast. Ivory Coast. Yeah. Nice. All right. Uh, there you go. For As it stands, I'll just check the table. Where are Crystal Palace? They're 13th. They're quite away. That's where they usually are. They're always 13th. Yeah, they're so that's fine, yeah. 13th. That's 10 points. Clear what will happen the... now is that Palace will lose eight of their next 10 games and still be 13th. That's <laughs> what always happens. I think Palace. they can be below 15th through <laughs> after that. Uh, not 13th, but only just not 13th. In 14th place are Nottingham Forest, who were beaten 3-2 by Brighton on Saturday. Uh, Seagulls coming from behind, who secured their first win in seven league matches. What happened? Well, if you want to beat Forest, that's the way to do it. They have lost three league games, 3-2 this season, and they've had 1-0 lead in one of them, 2-1 lead in another, and a 2-0 lead in the third. So um, they are... Very, very poor at holding on to lead. 3-2 defeat specialists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, if you were going to have a niche. Um, I, I think it should also be said that if Forrest don't beat Everton at home next weekend, I think Steve Cooper might well lose his job. Which, um, there are kind of murmurings. I know that Mike Keegan at the Mail had a story about him being seriously under pressure. Um, it sort of felt like Steve Cooper's been under pressure ever since Forrest mm -hmm. got promoted, but... Yeah, they do not want to be where they are right but now. Whose long shadow is looming from somewhere else? Uh, my my semi-educated guess would be Julian Lockpategui, who's been living in the Midlands for the last X number of months, and I think... And why would he be doing that if not for the Forest job? If not for a job, and I don't think he's getting Villa, so... He's not getting yeah. Leicester, is he? No. No. Uh, he, uh, yeah, I think I think he would be the, the kind of obvious <laughs> candidate, um, which inevitably then leads to some January spending and a good big old transfer list at the city ground, and everything feels like normal again. Excellent. Well, that's good, and well done to Brighton. <laughs> well done to Brighton. Actually, won three two. And uh, was this better from the Seagulls? I mean, I, I'm basing this on. It's, a... got, it's got some really nice goals, right. gorgeous goals. Yeah, and deserved celebrations are kind of worth watching. I mean, Slightly yeah, Ferguson's goal was fantastic. Yeah, very nervous. I mean, going down to to men for I think it was yeah a double descent from Lewis Dunn. Mm. I think with Bryson, they've really missed a Stupinian, and mm. this game as well. Mitoma wasn't there. I mean, obviously they they managed to win the game, but I think Stupinian's absence. I think Stupinian and Mitoma on the left hand side were pretty lethal, and they could defend as well. And once the Stupinian's out, it's just the structure. They couldn't find, they, I don't think they've managed to find a proper left-back replacement. I mean, this game, left-back replacement, Lamptey got injured again. So, yeah, um, so we'll see. I mean, is it, what's, what's rumours with Stupinian coming back? He is close, no? I don't know. I mean, Because he was a month initially, a month's gone. Yeah, but De Zerbi then gave some comments. I don't know if these are his most recent comments, saying they weren't sure when he'd be back. But I agree. I mean, he, he, he is a great player, and they... And they yeah, they've obviously got Europe to manage uh, this They're managing as well. well. <laughs> they are, yeah. I mean, they've you know in that bad run, they've beaten Ajax twice. This and and yeah. uh, they're they're at home Athens. to Marseille. They're home to Marseille. Oof. No, that, that's that not it? until. That's oh, I'm looking at the calendar wrong, aren't I? Yeah, you're absolutely right. They go to Athens. Hell. They're going to Athens. Yeah, okay. that's big. And then big Chelsea game. away, the Grand Potter derby, the everybody derby. Well, and yeah, 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 and all yeah, all the players and execs. There you go. 
Uh, well, that's kind of it then for Match Day 13. There is still Fulham Wolves to come on Monday evening. And then that big, busy European midweek gets underway with key games for, from the Premier League's point of view in particular, Newcastle and Manchester United. As mentioned, Tuesday, well, actually on Monday late, possibly the European Totally Football Show will be with you uh, with thoughts on those matches and what happened this weekend on the continent. And then Thursday, we'll be back to review it all. Do join us. Let's have a super time in the meanwhile. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you also to Sasha, to Charlie, to Daniel. Lovely to see you, to producer Charlie. And from all of us here, in fact, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.